The views expressed in the podcast you are about to listen to are the opinions of the presenter and the cast. None of us are official representatives of the companies we work for, and we are in no way responsible for what we say. If you are offended or otherwise afflicted by these opinions, please push the unsubscribe button in iTunes and go do something else. This is the Animation Conversation Weekly Podcast for November 27th, 2009, show number 32. Waiting for a table at the restaurant at the end of the universe, my name is Erlendal Saxaug. And podcasting from the Dungeons of Doom, my name is Morten Avery. And we will be guiding you through the show. This week, because of time constraints, there won't be any animation news, but uh, who cares? Um, we have the second part of our interview with uh, Sir Ralph Eggleston. But first, this week's uh, classic movie review is Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox. And here is a clip from the trailer. And so it begins. Welcome to the fantastic world of Mr. Fox. Woo! Should we dance? Ah, His life is fantastic. <laughs> Pure wild animal craziness. His wife is fantastic. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. His neighbors. Not so fantastic. This is Bogus, Bunce, and Bean, three of the meanest, nastiest, ugliest farmers in his valley. What was that? But they're about to discover... Oh, Foxy. Is help on the way? He's one fox. I've got an idea. You can't outfox. Mole, what do you got? I can see in the dark. We can use that. Rabbit, I'm fast. Badger, demolitions expert. What? Since when? Here, put these bandit hats on. I don't have a bandit hat, but I modified this tube sock. We look good. Yeah. So, uh, The Fantastic Mr. Fox is based on a novel, a novel, <laughs> novel <laughs> Christmas novel, no, a novel by Roald Dahl. A book. Uh, love, love his books. I, have, I haven't read The Fantastic Mr. Fox, though. Neither have I. I've done some research, though, and uh, it's, it was released in 1970. And uh, I'm just going to go try uh, to make, give a recap of, uh, of the movie. So, uh, it's basically, it's about uh, Mr. Fox who's really good at stealing chickens <laughs> and it opens this sequence with him and his wife trying to steal some chickens and then they get captured and he he promises her never to do it again um uh, so he um and she's pregnant so they start uh raise a family and they live the secure boring at least he thinks it's boring uh, everyday life uh until um they buy a new house and he, well, they, they, they actually, they end up living next door to, a, I don't know if I pronounce this correctly, but Bogus, Buns, and Bean. These three farm owners, uh, one of them is, has a chicken farm, the other one, um, was it ducks or turkeys? And the, the other one makes, uh, produces cider. And uh, he starts stealing from them because he misses his old life, which uh, pisses these three mod, uh, industrial mod, modules off. And... Um, they decide to, uh, well, kill Mr. Fox, 
but he's hard to catch, so they end up digging a huge hole in the ground where his Mr. Fox and his family's house used to be, and it turns if, into a kind of a standoff between Mr. Fox and uh, Boggis, Bunce, and Bean. So, Alan, we watched this yesterday, by the way, which is... Uh, it has a premiere. When, when was the Norwegian premiere for this? Uh, I think it's the f- 6th of February or 5th of February, 2010. So are, yeah. So, we are way ahead of the curve, but... Um, <laughs> I think it's already in the cinemas in the States, so if you if you live over there, you can probably go see it. And it has a bunch of uh, release dates, and it's going to be released re- released uh, all over Europe in the next uh, two months. And it's directed by, uh, well, probably everyone knows this, but it was directed by uh, Wes Anderson, who did uh, Rushmore, The Royal Tenenbaums, Life Aquatic, according to with Steve Zissou, The Darjeeling Limited... And now also the fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. And this really does feel like... Um, so it's about Wes Anderson movie by any means. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It could just as well have been a Wes Anderson movie. I mean, that's actually one of the things that I kind of feel I hold against the movie is... It would, the quirkiness doesn't seem that quirky when it's an animated feature. I, mm. I think it, in one regard it would have been... F- the script would have been funnier if it was with real people. That's a then, great uh, point. Pardon? That's a really great point. I, I yeah, didn't realize um, that, but you actually hit the, the nail on the head there. Well, well thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, apart from that, I, I actually... Um, I I was really tired when watching this because had, it had been a long day. And um, uh, I'm, I'm a fel- I fell asleep for a few minutes. <laughs> I should probably say this, but I actually... Well, I was talking to you about this yesterday, and we said we kind of needed a, a few hours just to kind of uh, get a fresh or a perspective on the movie because yeah. it's it's kind of strange in the way that it, it's a seventies. It has a seventies feel to it. It definitely yeah. feels old, but that also makes it feel really fresh and different. But it's just so awkward. It it has nothing to do with traditional animation uh, storytelling. Well, it's it's definitely not your traditional. Uh, well. Disney Pixar thing, which we've gotten used to, which I and I find that is one of the real strengths of this movie is that it's 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 different in every aspect. It's freshening in a way. Um, it feels really fresh. Yeah, and but I mean, the, even the visual language in the movie, like the the, the the way it's cut and the the camera angles and the camera moves, everything has that flatness that um yeah that seventies. Well, he even has that trying to remember back i think he has that as a k- kind of a thing in his movies as well um uh, and uh well, i mean you should if you if you haven't already you should check out the interview that we did with uh, jens gulliksen who worked on the movie so uh, another thing is i mean this movie is full of um uh voice actors that we know from his earlier movies owen wilson um bill murray's in there meryl streep has one of the voices uh george Clooney, i think is is new for wes anderson but um think they, they really do an excellent excellent job and and another thing that's i find funny is um is that there's some parts in the movie that are uh, the animation is is great uh, the the posing and the acting is really good and uh, the, the the puppets look um amazing and really detailed and but and they do really have that old classic um feel to them but it's really funny when when the characters eat and when they're digging yeah it's just complete chaos yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I found it rather surprising that uh, how, how, just how good the animation was because uh, everyone was saying that this looked uh, crude and uh, but um, it actually had really great animation. I thought uh, it, it it's probably animated or on twos and on fours uh, some places, but um, just the poses and. And we know that a lot of these animators are really great animators. They they had a lot of time to do the posing, and and uh, they had to kind of dumb themselves down to uh, to make everything look uh, more crude, right? Like Jens talked about. Yeah, exactly. And there's other parts that I really enjoyed also. But when they, for example, there's a lot of sequences where they're running. Um, from the far end of the shot and running up to the camera, and you can tell that far away, they've actually used miniature versions of the, the puppets. Uh, and then when they come close to the camera, they disappear for a second, they pop up and it's the the, the, the high-res models, if you will. And uh, there's some action sequences also that are done with uh, the miniature puppets. And they don't really try to disguise it all that much, And but it doesn't really matter, to be honest. It's all done in the ca camera. Yeah. yeah. Except for the last shot in the movie, I think. I don't know how they... They must have had a ridiculously large... A stage or it was uh comped in some way uh what was the last shot when we're there in the supermarket and they're dancing oh yeah it's yeah. a long long camera move or they where they, they uh, from a from pretty close to the characters and they just pan away not pan away but track away from uh out through the windows and out to the parking lot yeah but hey what was up with that ending how do you mean like the dancing in the end well, it's uh, like uh, it's like uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah, it's everyone dances it, at the it's end. It's kind of it's kind of cheap. It's like what they did in Shrek. Yeah, but it works. <laughs> I buy it. It's I don't have an issue with it. No. It feels like they they couldn't come up with an ending, so they just like let's just do the dancing thing. Yeah, but uh, I I was reading a, uh, a recap of the book and it said that it kind of, the way it ends is that the three um, bad guys, if you will, they're um, they're sitting and waiting for them outside um, yeah. the hole, like in the movie. Yes, and uh, you know they're probably going to be continuing their life underground, Mister mm. Fox and his family and his and their friends. Um, so I didn't really mind. It's just them having a having fun at the supermarket. So. No, I, I, it, it kind of spoiled the ending for me. Uh, it wasn't much of an ending, but I guess he, the, he had, he didn't have much to start up with. <laughs> so, yeah, I really want to read the original book now, just to kind of get like a reference to see how, um, how different the movie is, if it is different yeah. at all. But how did you feel about the story? I felt like uh, I really, really dug the crap out of this movie the first half hour, and then there was maybe half an hour when I wasn't that excited. Uh, it was it was good, but I felt like uh, the movie was being awkward just to be awkward. It felt like Wes Anderson tried to be Wes Anderson, sort of. I think the story to me, it was really, really simple. This, I mean, it's it's not really much of a... It's, it's really simple and... and uh, but I was talking about... I was talking more about the humor. Yeah, it's the humor and the quirkiness, I think, that kind of that makes the movie and um, and it works. Did you feel the same as... Did you feel the same as me at all? Like, you were surprised by, by the humor and the storytelling in the beginning and then midway through you were like, okay, I get 
I get what this is all about, and now they're just trying too hard. Yeah, at times it felt like that with the, the George Clooney the thing that he does, like that's what's his thing. Yeah, it's not really funny. No, <laughs> feels like we've seen it before. Somehow, um, but, but uh, yeah, it, it, it it's absolutely a movie you should see. I think it's uh it's, it's good. It's, it is a good movie, absolutely, uh, and especially the first uh, thirty minutes for me, really great. Yeah, it's just the, 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 when the kind of the freshness and the newness and the yeah. the, the quirkiness kind of settles in, it just kind of yeah, that's what slows, I the, the, the movie just kind of slows down a bit. But it picks up again in the end, Yeah. apart from the whole dancing thing. <laughs> <laughs> so where, how would you rate this movie on your list? Um, it's kind of hard because um, the first half is so great and then the rest is... It's kind of the same problem we have with I have with Wall E, uh, but uh, I'll place this between Princess and Pocoroso, I think. Ooh, interesting! So it's my number six, right? Oh, this is um. It's I see one. now that my, I should have changed my list because there's some things I don't agree with it. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm gonna say I'm gonna put this between. Um, Princess and Aladdin. I'll be my number four on the list. Wow, great! I, I was I, I was rather surpri- surprised. I thought you hated it because you were so tired yesterday. So it, it's like when everyone else was laughing uh, out loud, and I was laughing, and you're just sitting there. And I, I didn't really see your face, but I could see that you're you looked kind of bored. So yeah, uh, I had a hard time sitting still. I was restless yesterday. Um, oh, okay, but yeah. <sighs> But, I, uh, I should yeah. have put Shrek way higher up on my list, but <laughs> okay. So, uh, what's for next week? Next week, I'm gonna answer my own question. Uh, we have a kickoff of our um, animated uh, Christmas marathon thingy. So, uh, yeah, we're gonna watch. We're gonna watch. Uh, I think it's gonna be four or five uh, animated movies. Well, not uh, next week. No, no, no. But Phew! Tomorrow. I was getting nervous. It's a, it's a marathon. So uh, before Christmas, we're going to watch four or five movies. And uh, next time we'll have Will with us. Yeah, we're going to get some help from Will Ashurst to co-host yeah. next week. I'm so, really looking forward to that. I think it'll be a blast. Yeah, so it's our first uh, threesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> and for next time, we're going to watch uh, Mr. Begu's Christmas Carol from 1962. And this is Will's um, special Christmas wish. Aww. And that that was directed by uh, one Mr. Abe uh, Levito. I, I don't know him, but um, apparently this animator. is a great movie. In the 60s, 70s, 80s. Okay. Yes, and uh, let's not forget our uh, second half of our interview with... Uh, the Eggman, uh, Ralph Eggleston. So here we go. And that, that, that brings us on to your first job with Brad Bird, because you worked on Family Dog, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was all about uh, a dog's personality. And dog's the point, dog's uh, uh, point I, of view. Actually, it was from a dog's point of view. Yes, yeah. it was. Very specific family, too. <laughs> uh, Have yeah. you seen that uh, short? It's a half an hour, or how long it's, is it? It's uh, about a half an hour, 22 minutes. It's it was, brilliant. It's, 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 really it's really great. It, it, I, I like, personally, uh, I, I know I, I worked on it, but the, the, a lot of people give um, uh, good credit 
you know, I, I, to, to a film like Roger Rabbit, which is not, uh, it's not one of my favorite films. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I understand because it was somewhat popular um, that people like to point at it and say that it was the film that saved animation. I don't agree with that. Um, I look at a film like uh, The Great Mouse Detective and Little Mermaid by John Musker and Ron Clements and uh, Brave Little Toaster directed by Jerry Reese and, and uh, Joe Ramp worked on it from Story and Luxo, John Lasseter probably being the most successful out of, out of all of those in terms of its impact on what we do yeah. and Brad Bird's um, Family Dog those are those are those are and Tim Burton doing uh, well he did Vincent and, and Frankenweenie and he, he also did a kung fu version of Hansel and Gretel for the oh. Disney Channel live action but he, he did Pee Wee's Big Adventure all of these guys were fired from well John Musker stuck it out he, he was the one who had the, the real guts you know <laughs> you know he stayed and he did great things you yeah. know uh, but all of these other guys were fired but you know what they all left or left you know, they left the studio and they did great things and great things even Don Bluth they all left and and I, I don't care what you think of their individual work I happen to like most of it, but what's what's important is that these guys went out. They wanted to do great things at Disney, and that 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 period of Disney didn't want passion. They didn't want passion. Mm. They wanted the status quo, and those guys had passion, and they weren't able to express it at Disney. So when they were either fired or they left, they were able to express it. No, no matter what you think of their work. Um, that challenged Disney to rise to another level and, and vice versa, you know. Yeah. It was a great thing that happened. It was uh, a brave thing to do. Right? It was a very brave thing for all of those guys to do, you know. Uh, but when I think of uh, what, what really got people back, interested back into animation, I think of those projects, mm. not Roger Rabbit. But, you know? uh, I mean, like, Luxo wasn't really known for the, most people until 10 years later, right? And that's true. It was, well, it wasn't known in, uh, uh, it wasn't as, like I said, I, we took it for granted. Oh, it's just a great short film. Yeah. Um, we didn't quite get the revolution of it. I think that there's an entire giant crowd of people in academia and uh, computer science who recognized that, that uh, that's a watershed event, yeah. you know, more than in animation or film. You know, oh, that's yeah, that's that's an irony too. <laughs> so, uh, you did the Family Dog, and that was was that meant to be a series or no? Just that it one it was it was part of a series, uh, Steven Spielberg's yeah. television anthology, uh, Amazing Stories. Yeah. And Brad had written a few, I believe, a few other episodes, and uh, had been trying to sell the idea of doing theatrical shorts. Mm in front of movies again to Steven Spielberg yeah. and no one wanted it they're too expensive to produce a minute short and there's no way of making money <laughs> so instead he was able to do three short films for a half hour television show oh. and so that's what Family Dog mm. came yeah um, yeah cause and I think he had yeah. several other shorts boarded as well so mm. he had the characters were designed and the, some of the stuff was boarded by Tim Burton yeah. and uh, then Chris Buck and Dave Cutler and Jim Byhold and 
Russ Edmonds, Greg Banjo, the great Sue Croyer, uh, Dan Juke, Kirk Wise, Daryl Rooney, uh, Rob Minkoff, Alan Smart, Ron Hugard, Greg Manwing. We all, it was a lot of people, some right out of CalArts and some guys who had gone to CalArts and like Brad and worked at different places. They had yeah. gone from Disney. Uh, they, they were just so grateful to Brad for uh, allowing them to express their passion <laughs> as much as he was. You Did know? he turn out to be sort of a producer slash director? Um, I, I, he, he really was. I mean, we had a producer, Alex King, and uh, executive producers as well. But no, Brad, Brad knew that to put every penny on the screen instead of in, in some executive's pocket, he had to kind of maintain discipline and clarity and uh, uh, a good taste. <laughs> and uh, he's just a great director. He's, yeah. he, he, he's got, he, he knows, you know? Yeah. And, and he, can do, he, he had to learn how to do all of that and write. And yeah. direct, you know. It's the, so, in in my mind, yes, he produced it as well. Yeah. So. And then he moved on to do like he worked a lot on the the spirit, and then he moved on to the Simpsons. I think he had done the spirit prior to Family Dog. But, okay. Um, I, I wasn't involved in that. Yeah. That um, Yeah, and he left. Uh, I, I, you know, well, we all dissipated after Family Dog. We all went back to our day jobs. Uh, <laughs> um, some. Folks like Kirk Wise went to Disney and ended up directing Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And, uh, Dan Juke came to Pixar and was the head of story on a couple of films. Uh, uh, Dave Cutler went back to Disney and animated. And you went to. And where did I go? I went <laughs> to. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. Yeah. So obviously we have to move on to the old Pixar thing. You know? um, when? How did that happen? How did that happen? Um, I don't know. No, I, uh, I, uh, I had, well, I, I had worked at a studio called Croyer Films with Bill and Sue Croyer, mm. and we did movie talks and uh, one feature. Movie talks. Titles. Titles. Yeah, opening. Okay. And uh, I knew Andrew. I had known Andrew Stanton from school. He was a year or two behind me. Uh, and uh, and he worked briefly with us at Croyer doing uh, some animation on a project I had designed and and animated on <laughs> and painted background on uh, and did effects on and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I did a little bit of a did lot the whole there. Thing? <laughs> no, I didn't do the whole thing. No, no, no. Uh, uh, believe me, uh, a lot of people worked. It was a very short project, so we had a lot of people working. Tony Pacilli worked on it. Bob oh, really? Scott worked on it. Yeah. Um, and Sue Croyer, of course. The uh, uh, but 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 anyway, then we did a feature, um, and uh, after we finished that, Andrew Stanton called me and asked, uh, "Are you still working with the Croyers?" You know, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, but we're not really doing anything right now." You know, uh, and Bill and Sue are they're, they're my best friends, and they're very cool and. Uh, um, I, I, I did not particularly like the idea of leaving working with them, but mm. it was very slow in the business right then. So, um, now Andrew I, was already at Pixar. He had left for Pixar just yeah. a, a year or so before, yeah. and he said, "Well, Andrew asked me if I was busy, and you know, would I be interested in talking to John Lasseter about this film they were working on?" You know, and I said, 
talk to anybody, you know? So they, I guess, I, I only knew this later. I put my portfolio together to meet them at lunchtime. And I gather they flew down to pitch Toy Story to Disney, or a version of it, I don't know if it was first or the fifth or whatever what it was. But I do know that the producer, Ralph Guggenheim, left, dropped them off at the restaurant to meet me, and then left to catch the plane, an earlier plane. And John, and, you know, we talked to Andrew, and Pete Doctor was there, and Joe Ramp was there. And, you know, we were having a great time just seeing each other again. And, and uh, John looked at my portfolio, which I had done some pastel paintings, and literally just basically said, you're hired. You know, I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> and then they said, could you drive us to the airport? Because, <laughs> and I said, well, sure. So Burbank Airport was closed. So. Um, and the, the next day I got a call from Bonnie Arnold. Um, she was also the producer on, on Toy Story. And she did Last of the Mohicans and Adam's Family and uh, uh, Dances with Wolves. And she ended up doing Tarzan. And uh, at Disney, and what did you uh, do at them at those movies? What, what did you do? Produced, oh, produced, produced, yeah, great, great, fantastic lady. Uh, but she called me the next day and said, "When can you move up?" And I'm like, I thought, oh, like a month, you know, that, you know. Mm. She, how about next week? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> she sent movers and packed my house and moved me a week. I really? was up there. That was it. But did they actually have money to do stuff like that at that time? Um, they had money to do that at the time because yeah. they. I was up there the next week. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, this is, it, we're approaching the nineties. Right? It was well. That was ninety. The very end of ninety two is when I met with them and I brought. I moved up. Okay. So it was in the ninety two beginning of ninety three. So Toy Story wasn't in production yet. Or? No, they hadn't begun. Yeah, they had ju literally just started toying around with the idea, and they had they had started storyboarding. Yeah. And um, I came on, and they had some design work done. They were trying to figure out how to make a movie. Yeah. So uh, Jeff, the wonderful Jeff Pigeon, and Bud Lucky had, uh, they uh, Jeff had been working at Pixar doing commercials, and Bud Lucky had lived in the Bay Area, and John always liked his work, so he was helping out a little bit and yeah. doing. Bud is the guy who did that little short. Bounded. Bounded. And he's also the voice of Rick Dicker in The Incredibles, and several other voices in our films too. Um, uh, great guy. Um, they, they, um, I forgot where I was going. <laughs> so they called me up and asked me to come up and I really just dove in. I, you know, the first thing I did was a color script, which is kind of a color outline, um, uh, of the emotional content and some ideas for color and mood. And it, I, I, I like to do it like a stream of consciousness, uh, uh, it's very straightforward. And uh, and this was at a time where uh, Toy Story was a completely different movie. Uh, in the middle, right? Yes, it was very different. Um, yes, very different. And uh, uh, all I remember was showing John the color script, and uh, it was one of the most exciting days of my life, actually, <laughs> because he just walked in and his he was just looking at his like his eyes glazed over, and he's just like he could. It was almost like you know he had seen some of the film. But this is—he can see the whole film in one place. Yeah. And this is really his movie, movie, right? It's, it certainly is. It's very much his movie. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I mean, he didn't do it by himself, but uh, <laughs> John is a, one of the world's best editors, and, yeah. and, uh, and finds good talent. You yeah. know, Andrew Stanton and Pete and Joe, and Jack Pigeon, and uh, 
all of those guys. Just, just great. Yeah. Very lucky. <laughs> I'm glad I answered Andrew's phone call. <laughs> so you, you started out as an animator, and now suddenly you're, uh, you're in the art department doing sketching and like uh, uh -huh. color layouts and all that yep. stuff, right? Why, had, why did you put the animation on the um, I, I had worked on a film, uh, a, a, I had worked on a film with Bill and Sue Croyer. We had 14 producers on that film. Oh, they, they, yeah, 14? 14 producers. It's <laughs> always nice. Yeah, it was a nightmare. <laughs> and uh, the, the, film, the film was good and I learned a lot. We had a blast making it. And, uh, but but I, I was hired to animate on that and I did animate a little on it. But, um, very difficult to convince the producers of anything that this is a good idea or this is a bad idea uh, because they didn't understand animation they had never done it before and uh, so in support of Bill and Sue Bill, Bill being the director and Sue being the, the one of the producers uh, and also one of the art that she was like art art, art director uh, I started doing little pastel studies I would never worked with chalk or anything I just started doing them to kind of sell ideas. Mm -hmm. And they started liking them, and all of a sudden I was the art director. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, between that and a couple of other projects I did after that uh, with them, uh, they, the, that's where Andrew had seen my work. And I think, uh, I'm not sure of this, uh, honestly, but uh, Andrew must have seen John, some of John's pastels, and maybe that's what put uh, my me in his mind to have me meet John, show him my pastel work. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. So John works, likes to work with pastel. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of strange because you, you never really see any of his, his drawings or anything. There, there's a few out there. There's, they're in some books. Yeah. There's, there's a, I think there's a book called The Disney That Never Was that has some of his reproduction work in it. And yeah. Of course, it's the Luxo stuff and the Wally B and Andre pastels. They're in some of the books. Did you feel like this was going to be something completely new? What when, Toy Story? Yeah, when you worked on it. Um, I didn't know what it was going to be. No. <laughs> um, was it just another production, or was it? Something it was not just another production because it was the only sec only the second feature I had worked on. So it was no, it was exciting. Yeah. You know. Um, uh, uh, Brad Bird, when he came onto The Incredibles, he had never really worked too much with the computer, um, computer animation. A little bit with Iron Giant, but that was mostly hand-drawn. Uh, he said it best, uh, uh, the only way he could describe it is, you're asked lots of questions, but the physical, the, the making of the film is actually in the computer, so you can't touch it, you mm. can't feel it. Yeah. And you look at a lot of things that look like cheap white plastic for a long time, <laughs> and and so I have this painting or this drawing that this is what I want it to look like yeah. and then it takes a year to see it come out of the other end yeah. um, in traditional animation you can see it in a more linear fashion yeah. in computer animation you do a lot of thinking and a lot of drawing and a lot of designing and then you don't see it for a long time so it, it's it's scary the way Brad put it was he'd get all these questions and he would lob the answers into this bottomless pit and never hear the whoosh at the bottom, you know, he'll splash at <laughs> the bottom. Until the last, almost the last year of production, you really start seeing stuff come through. And it comes through really fast yeah. if you've done your homework correctly. Yeah. If you, you know, you know, 
and what Pixar was smart about with that. And that's the way I felt on Toy Story. You know, for me, and, and my getting an opportunity to work on The Incredibles, uh, it was actually kind of funny and somewhat heartwarming. <laughs> that's not the right word. Uh, heart heartening, heartening. I don't know. Whatever. That's okay. Anyway, it was um, <laughs> it was fun to watch Brad go through what I had gone through on Toy Story in terms of the, the frustration. Yeah. But but he had the added uh, a joy of writing and directing. <laughs> you know, I only had to I only had to hang on to John's hand on Toy Story. You know? Yeah. So. You told this really funny story at the lecture. I think it was about uh, your first uh, experience with computers. Oh yeah, that's a true story. Um, yeah, uh, and it, it helps explain, you know, both mine and many people's, and, and certainly Brad, uh, experience with the computer. I, I had done some set drawings, or I don't even know what I think it was a set, uh, set drawings, uh, right on at the beginning of Toy Story, and I made a model packet showing this is what the set looks like, and I passed that off to one of our modelers, Rick Sayer, who's just a, he's a great guy. Computer model? Uh, yes, he's a computer maniac, um, uh, and, 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 and a great guy. Uh, uh, <laughs> he called me back into his office a few minutes later and pulled a micrometer out of his pocket, and a micrometer measures very fine measurements. Oh, no. Yeah. One gazillionth of a millimeter. A little uh, Yeah, it's very fine, you know. And he puts it on my drawing, and he looks at me and says, should I measure the distance of this drawing from the inside of the width of the pencil line or the outside of the width of the pencil line? And I just rubbed my temples and just said, oh, Lord, you know, it's going to be difficult, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, I, I, to this day, I don't know if he was doing that seriously or just trying to put me in my place. <laughs> but, uh, but in either way, in either case, uh, <laughs> we really we kind of had to shore up our our what what I was on what I was not aware of. Again, this goes back to what I was saying about Luxo earlier, just taking it for granted. I I was used in sh either with short films or with uh, uh, the, the just working in the business. Mm. I did a drawing, a, a good one or a bad one, but a drawing, and I could hand it to another artist, and they understood what it meant. Yeah. And they could translate it, or they could say that's a bad drawing. I need a better drawing. Would have. When we first got to Pixar, the, bro the people who were so brilliant at building the machinery and the software, the hardware to make our films, yeah, the didn't have the greatest visual skills yeah. necessarily. Some of, some had good, and some not so good. And I didn't understand this. Uh, um, uh, I had spent the previous 10 years uh, from CalArts to, to Pixar dealing with nothing but artists who understood. So it was like, whoa. And, but in the, my time on and Toy Story and other films after, I've had to learn how to verbalize drawings to people who look at a drawing. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like for them to look at one of my ugly drawings and I don't understand this. What is this line? Where is it going? You know, <laughs> it's it's uh, just a different world for me. But I did have to learn how to verbalize it and work with them on changing. A 2D drawing is just a 2D drawing, and then when you get it in the computer, it's something else entirely. But you do use a computer once in a while, and you use a Cintiq? Uh, I don't use like a Cintiq. No? I, I'm not a big fan of that. No. I don't think they're very accurate or it's sensitive. Not the same. 
Um, no, I, I, I don't care if it's not the same because I use a Wacom tablet. Yeah. You know? Um, That's what uh, most people do. Yeah. I, I like the Wacom because, um, well, I'm, it certainly I'm more used to it. Yeah. But it's also, uh, um, it is more accurate than a Cintiq. Is so, it? Yeah. Really? And less expensive. <laughs> and portable. <laughs> and portable. Yeah. And you, you don't uh, obstruct the drawing you're working yes. on, right? Yes. That's, yeah, that's, that's a big thing for me because when I'm drawing on a Cintiq, uh, it, I can't feel the paper and the glass on top of it is thin, but it's not thin enough. Mm. And it uh, always feels like I'm moving a cadaver's hand around on the Cintiq, and I can't see over my hand to see what I'm drawing. <laughs> you know, it's a very odd feeling. I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. See, did you move on to another movie at Pixar just after Toy Story? Or um, right there after were two movies at, at the same time, right? The Toy Story 2 and Bugs Life. That at at um, let's see. Right after Toy Story, I went, before I came to Toy Story, I was working with Bill and Sue Croyer, and I started developing a project with them oh. and, and a partner. And they really liked it, but, I got, but they, did, they didn't have other work. So they, you know, I went to Toy Story, and at the end, John wanted me to work on something, uh, John Lasseter, and I, I really felt conflicted and actually not very good. I love John. But I had an I had a story I wanted to tell badly, and but Bill, my friends Bill and Sue had funded the early development of that, mm. and I did have a personal and professional obligation to pitch it to them first, mm. and they happened to be at a studio called Warner Brothers, <laughs> and Warner Brothers loved it, bought it, and we developed. I left Pixar for ten months. Leon Kurtz left for ten months as well. He was there. Uh, to, to, to do a TV show, I think, okay. um, and um, so he was an editor on Twitter. Um, so I went to Warner Brothers and, and developed it, uh, um, and uh, Warner Brothers had tried to set up an animation studio. They made a few features, uh, only one of which is great, you know, Iron Giant, yeah. um, and uh, it, was, it was a very, very strange place, very, very strange. <laughs> And I met a lot of wonderful artists. A lot of wonderful artists got their start on some of those films. But the studio itself was a train wreck. Yeah. And it was run by maniacs. Yeah, it lacked know. the magic of the... No, it, no, it didn't lack magic. It didn't know what magic was. So, um, the, uh, um, but my project was, I worked with uh, art director Dave Cutler, and uh, Dory Littell Herrick, and uh, uh, Tim Hauser worked together, uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry Davis and Laura Harkham, it's a small group of people that we, they were development yeah. people and they helped us out. Okay. But it was uh, called Bluebeard and uh, it was about a, a young woman who was seduced by a wealthy man whose mysterious past was revealed to her by the revenge-seeking ghosts of his murdered ex-wives. <laughs> With their help, she escapes his clutches and avenges in their murder. So it was a comedy about a serial killer. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> animated. Wow. <laughs> and um, I've heard about this somewhere, but I can't really place it. Yeah, uh, not a lot. Of, you know, people have talked about it and heard about it, but not many people have seen the artwork from it. Which is there's some great stuff. Because it was never finished. Or? No, we never. We boarded about five sequences. We had all the characters designed, a couple of animation tests done, and I, I, I don't know. I think they were having trouble with their first film. And it was wildly over budget and over schedule, and it was a disaster. And it flopped miserably. 
Um, and uh, I think that about eight or nine months in, we realized, they, they were asking, they kept asking script changes. We had a wonderful script writer, Stan Scherber, and they kept asking for script changes, mm. but the, it didn't matter, nothing mattered. Was our script perfect? No. Was the idea great? Yes. Uh, we needed support to make what we were trying to say better, not change it just for change sake. And at a certain point, it broke. I just knew this is not going to work. So I left. I went right there. I got a call from Steve Jobs, of all people, called me. Really? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and uh, Steve Jobs and then Ed Catmull called me, and then John called me. And they were very nice. I, they <laughs> had no reason to... You know, I, I'm so grateful they called me back, you know. They wanted you back. I said, what flight? <laughs> you know, I, I want to get back there so you bad. You move all your stuff again. <laughs> uh, they did, yeah. you know, and uh, I'm so grateful, you know, and I've been there ever since, really. I, I, I look at that time off, that t nine or ten months, as um, I never really left Pixar, you know. <laughs> I, I did. And, and But it was a good. I had worked in L.A. prior to going to Pixar, so I knew that, that it was crazy and sometimes awful yeah. in the business yeah. but after Pixar and then going back to Warner's and then coming back to Pixar I you know pick, Pixar has its share sometimes of frustrations and personalities and, but, but when people are working very hard it's all about making the film great and yeah. not about everything else so even on my worst days, when I'm very frustrated or mad or I can't do a drawing or I'm mad at somebody, whatever, I, I really, I have to, I can step back and realize that they're working as hard as I am and they're working to make the film better. And once I say that to myself, it's like, oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> you know, it's easy, easy to let go of stuff like that. Yeah. And we have some very good people at Pixar. <laughs> so it's a lot of trust. Yeah. <laughs> We should probably just move on to okay. some of the questions I got from uh, Morten. Because uh, he was curious about a couple of things. Uh, the first one is, uh, is there anything like in the, the last year or so that has really inspired you? Or, or what inspires you at the time when it comes to animation and those things? Um, have you seen shorts or do you have time to do stuff, stuff like I see that? shorts, I see films a lot. I, 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 I read a lot. Uh, I think that right now the thing that's exciting me is um, I read a book called Technicolor Rainbow, which uh, is about the aesthetics of color film from 1924 to 1939. And, That's a um, bit nerdy, is it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. Uh, um, but, but it's got a point. Yeah. It's uh, when, color film, when color film was introduced, the story of the history of color film is fascinating. Yeah. But, but it, more, even more fascinating is their use of color in film to, to relearn how to tell black, you know, they, they've made black and white films. They, they had made uh, two strip technicolor films, and, but the, they were using color indiscriminately. They were just, it, it, didn't, it didn't serve a purpose to the story or characters. And so uh, um, the idea that you would use color to advance the story and the characters and some plot uh, uh, it, it was revolutionary at yeah. that time. I mean, even though painters had done it for a long time, it was amazing how quickly they forgot. And that you know, so it, it's a, it's an interesting story. But what was the name of the book? Uh, Technicolor Rainbow. I can't yeah. remember the author's name. I, I apologize. We'll find it on Amazon. And put the yeah, you can find it on Amazon. It's yeah. paperback. Um, but 
What's interesting to me as well is the people who invented Technicolor, it was a man and wife team, uh, their relationship is intertwined with the history of the Technicolor. And it's also intertwined with Walt Disney because he had the first exclusive use of Technicolor of uh, 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 anybody. Yeah. And he had exclusive for all films for a year and exclusive for animation for three. This was in 1932. 32, yeah. And, uh, um, shorts. yeah, Flowers and Trees being the first, yeah. you know. And uh, the, the, what's interesting to me is I want, I, what I'm trying to find out is I'm putting, I'm putting a lot. So this is what you were asking me, what's exciting me about any of this is, is relearning what they've learned and how I can apply it on what we're working on. So I, I'm very interested in finding out what what uh, Walt, what Walt some of the early Walt Disney color tests mm. and what Technicolor the people at Technicolor learned from what Walt did with color they were able to use in live action. Yeah. So I haven't found that yet. So I, I hope. <laughs> you, to. you still consider yourself uh, sort of a student? Yeah, I love film history. I love film history. I've read. Uh, give me a give me a book on film history. It will be finished the next day. You know, <laughs> I, I love it. Do you have any like favorite uh, uh, directors, animators? Um, I have a favorite director is William Wyler. He's uh, mm. the greatest American film director and the most prolific as well, and uh, very diverse. Uh, big fan of uh, Billy Wilder, um, yeah. although he never made a good color film. And uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of Brad Bird. <laughs> Obviously. Very big fan. Uh, Francis Coppola, yeah. uh, you know, uh, kind of goes up and down, but when he's on, when he's doing well, I love to see what he's trying to do. Yeah. You know, not always, maybe not always successful like everybody, but yeah, his. His failures are often more interesting than most people's quote-unquote good films. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just going to ask you, um, the future, what, what does the future bring for, for you? Or do you think you're going to stay at Pixar or do you want to go and do something maybe in Europe and do some smaller stuff or um, your own things? I, I know I don't want to do commercials. <laughs> I worked in commercials for a year. It was the most difficult thing. Yeah. Very hard. Uh, I I uh, I like telling stories. Yeah. You know, I I, uh, I do not um, care about the look of a film as much as I care about the story that's being told. I I am not a per person who looks at a film and says, "Wow, that film is beautiful," but the story was not very good. Mm. I don't think a film looks good if it's not supporting a good story. So I really, you know, I, I, I look at a film like, um, well, I should be careful. <laughs> uh, I mean, a film like Sleeping Beauty is beautiful. I understand it's beautiful. A film like City of Lost Children is a miserable looking, horrible film from top to bottom. I, I, uh, um, Moulin Rouge, a disaster of design. Um, and a really just film that disrespects its audience. Yeah. And I, I don't you have really strong opinions about stuff like this. Well, it, it just like frustrates like me because or. when I talk to people, yeah, no, I, I don't, you know, that's fine. I, you know, <laughs> um, it frustrates me when people say, well, didn't you like the design? Yeah. If I hated a movie or didn't like a movie, didn't you like the design? I said, no, I didn't like the design. I don't care about the design. You know, it's like, who cares about the look of the film? 
if you don't care about the characters or story. You know, I like abstract films. I, I, I appreciate those too. And, and I, I, I look at the craft and I understand that is a great face. Um, <laughs> that's a really great face. Uh, uh, some guy on television, sorry. Uh, a politician or no? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's like from the 60s or something, so yeah. I wouldn't know. Uh, 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 but no, I, I, I can look at something, if it's not a great film, I, I can look at the design, I, under, I can appreciate it, I understand, but I don't care about it if I don't care about the film. I, I like the film as a whole, you know, not, not, in, not just individual parts, you know. Yeah. Doesn't mean I have to hate it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of thinking about that. Yeah, it's 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 just I've seen lots of beautiful films. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful, and I could care less. Just I I just paid you ten dollars plus parking and dinner and and my time yeah. to to watch this. Tell yeah. me a story. <laughs> you know. Cool. Okay, Ralph Eggleston. Thank you for doing this. Yep, no worries. It's really great. Yep. Good to, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. All right. I hope that all works out. Yeah, we barely scratched the surface. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I have to go and... Uh, next time. Yeah, next time. <laughs> and a big thank you to Mr. Ralph Eggleston for taking his time to answer some of our questions. And uh, yeah, this basically, I think, is the... Uh, it's time to round up episode 32. Yeah, and uh, we'll be back uh, next week, hopefully, with some uh, news. Uh, but you can check us out on, on Twitter at twitter.com slash acpnews and please leave us a voicemail on Skype our username is animationconversation one word remember to visit our swag shop that is where you'll find your ACP t-shirts mugs and spacesuits and send us your tips, feedback or whatever comes to your mind at feedback at animationconversation.com and please read the show notes where we put all the links related to this show and our web address is, as always, www.animationconversation.com. That's it for this week's Animation Conversation Weekly Podcast. Until next time, have fun and animate. Toodles! <laughs>